Thank you for everyone who is joining us in person here in Cohen Chapel at Sinai Temple in Los Angeles, <laughs> and for everyone watching us either live or streaming later on. We are here on the 15th day of Elul, which means that we are basically exactly two weeks away from the start of Rosh Hashanah, and we are, we're ready. It's, it's a little bit crazy to think that we're only two weeks away, um, but we are so excited to bring in Rosh Hashanah together as a community, and tonight to come together to discuss what makes the High Holy Days come alive, and that's the music. Um, and so if you're interested in more of the composition of the prayers, what they mean, and kind of a deep dive into that, I encourage you to search on our Sinai Temple uh, YouTube page, and I've done classes, and our rabbis have done classes on the meanings and the methods of prayers, and their um, all the sources, the context, and what you do and when. This is going to be an evening primarily designed to showcase the music, really what makes the text come alive in a meaningful way. And I'm so happy that I am joined here tonight by our brand new music director of Sinai Temple, Mr. Benjamin Fingerhut. Welcome, Mr. Benjamin Thank Fingerhut. <laughs> Hi. And uh, Benjamin joined us basically in time for Passover. And so it's been a few months of the two of us working together, and it's been an absolute joy and a privilege to welcome him to our Sinai Temple team. So, Benjamin, how's Los Angeles? This is your, uh, you're, you're now almost becoming an LA native, huh? Yeah, almost. Yeah. Almost. Uh, I've got a whole different wardrobe now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like I'm settling in. Mm -hmm. You're surviving the rain, though. We had our first hurricane, and you know we're blaming all the bad weather on Benjamin because he's coming from from London. But it, this this will get old very very soon, I promise you. Yeah. Um, so what we wanted to do today is to take a deep dive into three of our prayers from the High Holidays, and that's why we've provided for you the uh, the Machzor. And if you're watching at home or later, uh, we're going to be using the Machzor Lev Shalem by the Rabbinical Assembly. It's the Machzor we use here at Sinai Temple and in many conservative synagogues around the uh, around the world for the High Holidays. And we're going to start with um, one of the most famous pieces of the High Holidays. When you think of High Holidays, you think of that's right, Ki Anu Amecha. No, I'm not no, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> we think of Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King. So I invite you to turn to page 243. Page 243, continuing on to 244. And Avinu Malkenu, it's actually one of the prayers that unfortunately we're not going to be able to do on the first day of Rosh Hashanah because it is Shabbat. The Avinu Malkenu section is omitted, and so is the shofar service. But we're going to get a, have a chance to bring it back, uh, thankfully, on Kol Nidre and also at the end of the High Holy Days at the Ni'ilah service. So Avinu Malkenu, let's read through it a little bit. There's many different sections of it at the, at the top, but the musical settings that we are going to be examining, the, the most common one starts at the very, very end, just the, uh, the last two lines. But there's going to be a couple of settings that go through the traditional conservative text over here. So I'm going to start in the English at the bottom of page 243. Avinu Malkenu, cause our salvation to flourish soon. Avinu Malkenu, cause your people Israel to be exalted. Avinu Malkenu, raise up your anointed with strength. Avinu Malkenu, hear our voice, be kind, sympathize with us. Avinu Malkenu, accept our prayer willingly and lovingly. Avinu Malkenu, do not turn us away empty-handed. Avinu Malkenu, remember that we are but dust. Avinu Malkenu, have compassion for us, our infants, and our children. Avinu Malkenu, do this for the sake of those who were martyred for your holy name. Avinu Malkenu, do this for the sake of those who were slaughtered for their exclusive devotion to you. Avinu Malkenu, do this for the sake of those who went through fire and water to sanctify your holy name. 
Avinu Malkenu, do this. Lema'an al Kidush Shemecha. Do this for the sake, uh, if not for our, do this for your sake, if not for ours. And then, of course, the, uh, the famous Avinu Malkenu, Chanenu Va'anenu Ki Ein Banu Ma'asim, Asayimanu Tzedaka Vechesed Vechoshienu. Avinu Malkenu, have mercy upon us, answer us, for our deeds are insufficient. In the Hebrew, ki ein banu ma'asim. In Hebrew, it's, we don't have any deeds. And in English, insufficient. Deal with us charitably, lovingly, and redeem us. Very powerful words. So tonight we're going to focus not only on the music, but especially on how the music evokes the meaning of the text. So we're going to go ahead and do live and also via recording three settings of each of these pieces that we're going to go through. And I want this to be a conversation, first of all, between Benjamin and I and just kind of what we take away from each piece, but especially from from those of us here in the room. What do you take away from a composition? What are some things that stood out? Is it a good setting of the text? Is it not necessarily, I don't want to say bad setting, but is it is it reflective of the meaning that we want to get out of the text? All right, so we're going to dive right into it. We're going to do the first setting, which everyone should know very well. This is going to be the traditional, quote-unquote, traditional version of Avinu Malkinu. All right, so initial reactions to this prayer that we all know all too well. Benjamin, what's one of the first things that comes to your mind when you hear this prayer? So it's obviously using the um, Jewish mode. That's exactly what great minds think of like. It's right. hearing that Jewish mode. And it's in Jewish liturgical modes, we call it the Ahava Rabbah, or Fragish mode. It's the Jewish mode that has... It's based on the church mode of Phrygian, but it has a raised third. So we call it Fragish in Yiddish to have that kind of Phrygian-sounding name. But basically, it involves an, an augmented second interval between the second and third degrees of the music scale. You can also call it the 
Havanagila mode. Havanagila, 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 Venismecha. So there's no mode that exists like this in non Middle Eastern music. This mode is actually borrowed from the Arabic mode, Arabic makam hijaz, and that's where it comes from. This mode is, is, has its origins in Middle Eastern uh, Jewish life, but has been so well beloved that we hear it as the Jewish sound. So absolutely, we hear that sound and we hear, this is a Jewish piece of music, right? Right. Exactly. How about out here? What are some of the first things we hear when we think of Avinu Malkeinu? Let's think of the text, right? Our Father, our King, have mercy upon us. Does it match the text? I don't know if it does. <laughs> it, it kind of seemed, it seems very happy, you know, in a very Jewish way. Like, what I do like about it is that it has the two parts, the lower parts, right? Have mercy upon us, right? The second part, so it's a little bit more of a pleading when we have a higher modality as part of the same key. We're not changing keys, but we are changing tonal centers, wouldn't you say? Right, and I think... Um this piece particularly uses this Ahava Rabbah mode. Mm-hmm. Um, as we go through history, through time, we find that uh, musicians start using more uh, something called word painting, where they use the text specifically um, as a, a source to build the harmonic language within the piece of music. So something like this very traditional Avinu Malkeinu, which uses the Jewish text, it sort of seems very square compared to things that... Um, have come later. Wonderful. Okay, I want I want to do kind of like a dive into all three musical settings, and then we can kind of come back and do a compare and contrast. Um, the second one needs no introduction. When we think of Avinu Malkenu, we think of oh, that's the one that Barbara Streisand sings, right? It's the Barbara Streisand Avinu Malkenu. In fact, this is a setting by uh, Max Janowski, who is a very prolific Jewish composer and educator in the Chicago area. And um, on a side note, I had the opportunity to work with his protege and who founded the Max Janowski Society, and we've recorded and, re- and the society has rearranged and reproduced a lot of his music for distribution. So you can check out the Max Janowski Society, and uh, we've done some really wonderful uh, new recordings of Max Janowski's music. So this is Max Janowski's Avinu Malkenu. Avinu Malkeinu Shema Koleinu Avinu Malkeinu Chatanu Lefanecha Avinu Malkeinu
very epic and memorable, um, singable, but also dramatic. What I, what I first take away from this piece is what's called a pedal tone. Do you want to maybe actually uh, show them what, what we're talking about? A, a pedal tone. So a pedal tone in, in musical terms is when we have one bass note that kind of stays the same. And in this case, it's an F. It's just kind of like, bum, 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 bum. So it's throughout the whole thing. He's still on the F, he's not moving. Still there. Right? So I, I hear that F, and it's just—it's kind of like a driving force. What, what do you kind of take out of that pedal tone? Like when you encounter pedal tones, what, what does it mean for you? Well, there's a couple of things. So musically speaking, it's a device to create some tension. Mm -hmm. So if the pedal tone wasn't there... Um, So the bass moves with a harmony. It's kind of a bit all of a sudden. As opposed to... And we get what is actually quite a, a dissonant Very dissonant, tone. yeah. Because you get that semitone, you get the crunch on it, half step, uh, yeah, in there. Um, so there's a so that creates the tension, um, but also I think in a piece like this where the text keeps coming back to mm -hmm. Avinu Malkenu, mm -hmm. Avinu Malkenu, and then this comes back to the same pedal tone every time. That repetitive nature coming back is almost subconscious, but it's there. It is. It's like it's like the heartbeat of the piece. Bam. Um, bum. It's just it's it's an anchor, but it also it creates that that sense of discomfort. Mm. That there is a sense that that there's a lot going on beyond ourselves, and we are we're truly placing our prayers in God's hand to ask for in the end a shana tova, but asking for God to make us better because we ki ein banu maasim that we don't have good deeds. Really wonderful, and this this by the way incorporates the same. Change in tonality that we had in the first the up the fourth. I think it's the same thing here. We had the first three, and then the second part goes. So the same general musical theme brought to a higher tonal center to keep the musical composition connected to each other, but then to still add a musical idea that adds more emotion. And what, what happens when we're going higher? What, what does that, that, that kind of signify for you? Uh, I suppose a few things, but most importantly, um, we're starting so somber, not just in terms of the harmony. 
also in terms of the register of the ooh, sorry in, ter in terms of the register of the uh, piano it's very low if it were any lower it would we'd get this muddy too muddy yeah so it's just low enough that we don't get the muddiness but then when it goes higher it's that moment of clarity mm -hmm. yes and a little bit more major chords not saying that minor is always sad or major is always happy but it definitely adds kind of a layer of i feel a little bit of hope in this piece exactly which makes it really wonderful yeah so we start really low and somber uh -huh. with these pedal tone that really keeps us grounded the crunchy use a lot in films mm -hmm. these days too F pedal tone create that dramatic tension and then when we, when we get into the higher register we cycle through these chords center so that's a little journey through janowski it's brilliant this music written i believe in the 1960s brilliant this is like kind of the high point of classical reform and, and in our case conservative jewish music well this is written for organ classical cantor and mixed choir so playing it on a piano or playing it in an orchestra is actually away from the original intention of the piece to be played on an organ all right let's do our third avina malkenu we could do this all night. Do we have more than an hour? We might, we might go longer than an hour. I hope that's okay. Uh, the third setting is going to be, um, what are we going to do? Mayor Finkelstein, right? Okay, here we go. So this uh, third setting is by our wonderful cantor emeritus, Meir Finkelstein. Um, his setting of Avinu Malkenu. Oh, there we go. Oh, my God. 
All right, so that is not only Cantor Mayor Finkelstein's composition, but that's him singing it, and that's him on piano. We call him the triple threat. <laughs> the triple threat Cantor. Oh, that's enough. There we go. We have a whole album, but that's enough for now. <laughs> um, so, Benjamin, what, what do you hear when you hear this setting, which is markedly different than the, the first two? I mean, they're, they're all different. That's kind of the point of, of showing how composers can take the same text and take it in very, very different directions. So what do you hear in, in Mayor Finkelstein's composition? Right. Well, this one's clearly a lot more gentle, um, a lot more ethereal, a lot more p- pensive, introspective, I, I feel, compared to, especially compared to the, to the traditional one. Um, I think it's a lot more um, you know, calm, gentle, yeah, and now that we've heard all three, we can kind of do like a little comparison where the first one is is like a folk song. Like it's it, it's in a familiar melody that can bring all of us together, kind of encourage us to to pray together as a community and to, you know, beseech God to be better within the context of of all of us together. The second one by Janowski is definitely very, very dramatic. It's a it's a, a pleading to God. It's it's begging for God to you know, to have mercy and compassion upon us. Quite, and then th- quite heavy as well. Very, very heavy. Exactly. And this one over here being very, very light, it's it's like a personal prayer almost. It's like a it's it's please God. Avinu, our father, Malkenu. Kotveinu Besefer. You know, write us in the book of life. It's like it's almost should be done mezzo de voce, like kind of done with kind of a, a, a pharyngeal falsetto, a little, not, like, not like a full like, it just wouldn't be the right flavor of it. It's, it's the, the flavor of the piece to, to add, as you say, a very light, gentle, ethereal, and, and almost like a, a pleading way to do it. Mm. That's interesting as well, the, um, because the interpretation can completely change a composition as well. Um, so, for example, exactly. We go back to the very first one, which would traditionally be kind of like you're yeah, um, bob- chuck, chuck, yeah, exactly, um, chuck, chuck. Your head. Yeah, but really, if we decided to play it, it's instantly changed. Amazing. by slowing it down, changing the register, so making it much higher. That's, that's actually fascinating because that, that gets into the whole discussion of not only interpretations of the one piece of music in different styles, but what happens in a, in a non-Orthodox setting where we find ourselves of how instrumentation can affect the sound of what we're doing. And this is something that Benjamin and I talk about and discuss and care deeply about is what is the appropriate instrumentation for the liturgical settings of music that we use? And most importantly here at Sinai Temple with, with our history and importance of the organ, the question of what needs to be play on the, played on the organ versus what can be reinterpreted on the piano. And if it's on the piano, do we want to 
add a string quartet? Do we want to add an electric guitar and percussion? Do we want to add a cello and a clarinet? So many different ways. Do we want to add a choir? Do we want to add eight people in a choir? All these different musical tools in our toolbox to be able to most appropriately and most beautifully set the Jewish music and make it come to life. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Any questions or comments on Avinu Malkenu? Yes, Hallie. Good question. So I'm, I'm going to repeat it because uh, you don't have a microphone. So Hallie is, is asking the question of whether this text of Avinu Malkenu is from the reform, from the, like the non-Orthodox or traditional movement, because it almost sounds very foreign to us. Like we say, our father, our king. It is very Jewish. This text of Avinu Malkenu comes from the Orthodox prayer book. And it has been done for thousands of years this way. And so many of the things that we have that we can find in the, the Catholic prayer service and the Christian liturgy as well comes from Judaism. You know, like one of the, the main things that they say in the Catholic Mass is, um, what is it? Uh, like, praised is God, praised is the Son, praised is God. It's like a whole thing too. But this, all, this is a declaration of faith, which is what we do like in the Shema. There's like the credo, credo in unum deno, that I believe in one God. That's very Jewish, you know? So a lot of the liturgy that we think of as foreign, like that idea of grace, that's the Jewish word of chen, right? So a lot of things that we hear, we're just not familiar. We're, we're not able to see it as part of our tradition where, in fact, it is very Jewish. And especially, you know, for, for people who want to seek spirituality in, in, in Buddhism or outside the Jewish faith, we have so many texts and so many traditions that address Jewish spirituality and Musar and Kabbalah that it's so much a part of our tradition that we're almost afraid to look within our own tradition and we go outside to different faiths and traditions. So the Avinu Malkeinu, Our Father, Our King, that is extremely Jewish. It's a very, very Jewish prayer. But the setting with organ... And choir, mixed choir, SATB, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, mixed men and women, and organ and instruments, that is very Christian and reform, because that came from Europe. So that, that was not in historical, traditional Judaism, although we can argue, right, the traditional Avinu Malkeinu, Avinu Malkeinu, that mode came from the Middle East. So was that the case of how Jewish music sounded 2,000 years ago? We have no idea. Right? So what makes music Jewish? This is something we're going to talk about. I invite you to come back for Slichot. We're going to have a whole discussion on what makes music Jewish. Did that answer your question? Carrie? Yes. Wow. <laughs>
I love that. So I'm going to repeat that. So Carrie said that the first version, the traditional, is is pleading on behalf of the community. The second version, the Janowski, is pleading on steroids, like very, very dramatic and big. But the third one is pleading just for oneself, like not really more like an individual versus the community. I really enjoyed that. Okay. Okay. Irv thought the opposite. Let's hear it. The second one was personal. Interesting. So we heard the Janowski is a very personal prayer. Why? A one-on-one, -on -one. like almost like a, a dramatic cry, like the cantor is a dramatic cry out to the out to God. It's wonderful. See, I love this. One one interpretation can have so many so, so many different ways. It's not only the composer's interpretation of the of the the liturgy, but it's also the audience's interpretation of the composer's interpretation of the liturgy. So there's there's layers and layers, and that's what makes it beautiful. And also, not only that, but it's like. Our, my own interpretation of the music will change year after year, depending on what's happened in my own life, right? So it's, it's, it's an also not only different people, it's also different versions of ourselves coming back. And that's, that's why we have the liturgy and the Torah year after year. The liturgy and the Torah don't change, but we change. And that's what makes it special. Absolutely. So you're sharing an expansion of, of the individual, like the individual response based on what's that that one person that's going through, whether it's been a good year, everything's been great, you know, we got a new job, everything's going well, everyone's healthy, versus someone who got like a terrible diagnosis or someone that's lost a loved one. It's going to be a very different experience for each person depending on their own life circumstances. Really wonderful. All right, that is Avina Malkano. We're going to dive now into our next prayer. Let's turn back to page 143, I believe. Yes. 143. And we are here at what I would argue is the core of the High Holy Days for liturgy. This is the Unatanatokev prayer. The Unatanatokev prayer is the quintessential piece of liturgy where we're talking about the sanctification of the day. Please watch my Unatanatokev class. It's online. Um, but the third part of this, the first paragraph, Unatanatokev, the second paragraph, Uva Shofar Gadol Yitaka, and the third paragraph, starting in bold, Berosh Hashana. This is the prayer where we enumerate in great detail who is going to be inscribed in the book of life and who is not. And not only that, but what is going to be our fate. On Rosh Hashanah it is written, and on the fast of the Day of Atonement it is sealed. How many will pass on and how many will be born? Who will live and who will die? Who will have a long life and who will come to an untimely end? Who will perish by fire and who by water, who by sword and who by beast, who by hunger and who by thirst, who by earthquake and who by plague? Who will be strangled and who will be stoned? Who will be at peace and who will be troubled? Who will be serene and who will be disturbed? Who will be tranquil and who will be tormented? 
Who will be impoverished and who will be enriched? Who will be brought low and who will be raised up? Uteshuvah, utfilah, utzedakah, ma'avirin et ro'ah hagazerah. But teshuvah, tefillah, and tzedakah have the power to transform the harshness of our destiny. Heavy text. So the first musical example we're going to present is what I've come to know as the traditional text. And uh, in looking back at the archives of Sinai Temple, I believe this melody was done here too as the traditional version. It's what I grew up with too. And, and also, Benjamin, you, you're familiar with this. This is like kind of the traditional text for you uh, back in the United Kingdom. We're going to sing this one for you. And then what would normally happen is the cantor would do an improvisational interpretation of the rest of the words. Like, All right, so the traditional Barosh Hashanah, I, I hear this and I'm immediately brought back to my childhood, hearing my cantor and doing, doing his improvisation and really focusing on the words and feeling the gravity of the text. For me, this, this sets the text pretty darn well. What's your, what's your interpretation? So I think for me, it's the simplicity because in terms of the harmony, uh, really we're just using two chords. Sorry, just raise it slightly. Better? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, so it really just uses um, two chords, and the melody um, shapes the harmony. So I'll show you what I mean. So the two chords are this one and this one. And 
going straight back. So the one five one. So very, very simplistic in its musical composition, where you have the tonic and you have the dominant. It's as simple as you get. And then the melody turns around that. So there's nothing there that sounds untoward. There's nothing there that breaks away from the from the harmony.、Mm. Something that might sound slightly more dissonant. So it immediately draws your ear away from the harmony there. The Rosh Hashanah is not what we get.、Mm-hmm. The Rosh Hashanah, Kate. That's the second chord. Tevun. Straight back to the first chord.、Mm-hmm. It says,、um, very consonant.、Mm. So nothing that's going to kind of. Take us away from from the text, and, and I can I can hear that. Like if, if you have like a, a musical dissonance or a musical excitement, it could almost like kind of take you more to the music than the text. And that's something that actually I've I've always struggled with, and I don't know if you have as well. Like when, whenever I hear something on the radio, I always hear the music,、mm. and I can never remember the words. But I can tell you exactly what key it's in. I can tell you the melody. I can tell you the harmonies. Just my mind just works musically, which means it doesn't work for the words. It's bad. So my memory for words is bad. Do you have that kind of same interpretation of like music? Yeah, all the time. In fact,、uh, <laughs> thank God it's not just me. <laughs> yeah,、um, uh, many years ago,、uh, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine used to send me、uh, all these you new know, different pieces of music. And、uh, it took a long time for me to realize she was sending it to me because of the lyrics, rather than、uh, oh, that's a cool bass line. <laughs> <laughs> so, like oh, the, the chordal structure of that one is very、yeah. similar to the other one. She didn't want, uh, yeah,、for. didn't want a musical analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that Neapolitan chord going into、right. the five was just really, <laughs>、exactly. really broke my heart over there.、Yeah. Like, no, honey, that's not what I'm going for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. But then, so something like this, where the text is so is not light. But then you know that so we've got the, the, this sort of dichotomy of you know is it appropriate to to be so consonant in the setting of of the text that is not at all? That's a very good question. Like, is it consonant as in like settling and comforting? Right, that's what the music is. Although it is in minor, but we can't really talk about major and minor and ahava rabba. Remember the Jewish modes. Like when we think about minor. Minor is very. It's either weekday or high holiday. It's like minor. Baruchu et Adonai, Mavarach Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam. Asher Tanu Sakhi Vivinal Lev Kimen Yom Avin Lailam Utenenu Hayom Avicholim. It's like it's very just like davening. It's vochedich. Or on the high holidays, Avinu Malkenu Zechor Rachamech Avinu Malkenu Chonvenu Zevilah. It's it's like a very pleading mode, but also it, it's minor. So it's not like happy and sad. It's different. It's almost like disconnected from emotion. That's it's based in in the importance of the liturgy and the text.、Um, so yeah, it's it's almost like you have the consonance of the harmony in dissonance with the the gravity of the text. And that's very. Fa- I've actually never thought about it that way. And that, that can work sometimes, you know,、yeah. in, in literature as well.、Um, yeah. All right, that's number one. Let's do a、uh, number two. And can you talk about this one? Because this one, I think, is is one that you're more familiar with. This is a com- a composition by Eli Jaffe and arranged by、uh, your teacher. 
Stephen Glass, right? Right. So this is actually um, a piece of music that we uh, used to do in the Orthodox synagogue from which I hail in London. Uh, and it was therefore a male voice choir arrangement. Uh, and that's what we're going to hear. There we go. Arranged by is, uh, Stephen Glass. And this is our friend, uh, Cantor Gideon Zellermeyer of Sha'ar HaShemayim. I think this one almost stands in the same group as as the first one we played in that um, well they're quite similar both in terms of the tempo uh, also in terms of uh, the mode that they use um, and they're they're both quite docile in that way yeah I I feel the same thing this this one is almost a little bit more comforting like the the first one is is almost a little bit more I don't know if it's like rigid in its structure. This one is like a little bit, I get a little bit of that, of that, that feeling that we got in the Finkelstein Avina Malcano of like the, a little bit of, of movement and comfort of moving through this. It's like there's sadness in the song, but there's also like a little bit of hope as well. I don't know if, I don't know if if, if I'm kind of making any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Good. Any thoughts about the two so far? Everyone's in a dream state, enjoying it. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's move on to the third one, which is uh, is very different. And I was a little little jarring when I first heard it, but uh, it's now our beloved Barosh Hashanah. And this is the setting by Cantor Mayer Finkelstein. Berosh Hashanah Yikatevun Uvyom Tzom Kippur Yechatevun Berosh Hashanah Yikatevun Uvyom Tzom Kippur Shana 
So uh, when I first heard this text, I was I was a little surprised because I I I didn't I don't know I I didn't the the chorus yes but like the verses it just I don't know if it it initially spoke to me as as uh, an appropriate way to to set the text it almost seemed like a little bit too happy but it's it's really grown on me over time there's just there's something really special about it so uh, what it, before i talk about how that's grown on me and there's there's a really special way i'm, I'm so interested to, to hear cuz now you're you're having the same experience arguably that that i had 11 years ago of hearing a lot of our sinai temple music for the first time um so i mean this particular piece i had heard before so okay yeah <laughs> so, that's not not a fair test look at that sinai temple music going out into the world it transcends there yeah. we go um so uh this one as well is um a lot more uh you know dreamy almost yes. um almost like a lullaby lulls you into that sense of you know it's in it's in three time one two three one one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. It's always kind of wispy. I love it. It's like, it's like a lullaby or a waltz. Never thought about it that way, but it's... Yeah, same type of feel. Um, but again, it, you know... Um, the way that we hear the piece of music, um, if we play it as a waltz... <laughs> that might, that might not work. <laughs> so, you know, when it has been arranged and orchestrated, but I've just got some chords in front of me and the melody. So, if I didn't know better, how would I know? It even says actually at the top here, slow waltz. Interesting. So, you got a <laughs> and if you didn't speak Hebrew, you wouldn't know any better. Yeah. Um, so it's almost masked by the way that the arrangement almost doesn't have that strong beat in the same way that is really demarcated there. Mm-hmm. Sway to it, but without being, you know, comical. I love that. It's it, that goes back again to interpretation, and kind of once it once it leaves the hand of the composer, it really lies in the heart and the hand of the interpreter, of the cantor, of the music director, of the choir, of the instrumentalists, um, to really make the music come alive in an authentic way. 
So the, the main reason why this piece has grown on me is, at number one, it's become just my experience of Rosh Hashanah. It's every single year. This is, is how we do it, and this is how Sinai Temple has done it, thank God, for, for decades now. But something that's so special about our community that I, I don't see in many other communities, I, I don't want to you know, knock any other shuls or synagogues out there, but everyone in the room, close to 2,000 people, they're all singing this all together. And it's so powerful. It's all of us coming together on the holiest days of the year to acknowledge that the fate is not in our hands. To give thanks for those who are here with us, to remember those who are not here with us, who sang with us, you know, in the row behind us or in front of us in the year past, we feel it. And it's such a family. It's such a beautiful moment. It is, it is the Lador Vador moment on the High Holy Days. And it's just so special. It, it makes it a real communal experience. And, and that, for me, almost supersedes the, the, the reasoning behind the musical interpretation. It, it's, it, on many arcs, you'll see the words, Da lifne mi ata omed, right? Know before whom you stand. And obviously, it's Hakadosh Baruch Hu. You stand before God. But the reality is, it's also turn around. Who is sitting in your pews? Who is your community? Who are we here to serve? It's interesting as well. You, you mentioned it's the Lodorador moment of the yes. High Holy Days. Well, Yomeo Finkelstein wrote Lodorador and this interpretation sure of it. So yeah. um, it might very well be this particular composer has a very pastoral way of writing that, that just you know automatically ma- makes us go to that place where we want to put our arms around the person next to us. We want to be in that inclusive setting. Okay, so that was the, uh, the three settings. I would love to hear some feedback and just some reactions of the, the three settings of Barosh Hashanah. Kerry. Wow. Go with it. Don't be afraid. It's written. I, I love that interpretation. So Carrie said the first two are matter of fact. Can maybe can I put words in your mouth? It's almost like reading a legal document musically, right? That it's here's the matter of fact, who shall live, who shall die. On Rosh Hashanah it's written Yom Kippur Tzil, like here are the facts. But the third one, that it's almost so disconnected from the meaning of the text that it brings comfort because of the of the music. So that that's actually a question that that I want to discuss with you, Benjamin. Is is that something that we should look at as a valid interpretation? For a musical setting, like because oftentimes you would think like when when a composer is writing a piece of music, the primary goal should be to authentically mm-hmm. interpret and convey the meaning of the text. That if you don't speak a word of Hebrew, you should understand what the text is trying to convey with the meaning and importance by listening to the music. I and I think traditionally that's you know in all sort of art music uh you know or the um leader and, and all, all that sort of thing that 
the music really conveys the text and, and you get the sense of that romanticism and, uh, and of that poetry and um, the music here seems to be adding its own interpretation to so it's almost like a, you know its own rabbi um, adding its own interpretation its own stamp onto what the music thinks is going on um, but it's so it's sort of the same as as without music and if you were just reading it and you, you pick it up and you say Barosh Hashanah Yikatevun Vyonsom Kippur Yachatevun thank you and it's sort of throw away and it really you know you can say it in a dramatic way Barosh Hashanah Yikatevun Vyonsom Kippur Yachatevun so it's this you know music or no music you, it could be just as dull, just as matter of fact, or just as you know, expressive in the way that you say it. So, it's the music's almost an extension I, of. I love that so much, and this is at one of my one of my teachers, um, Dr. Michael Isaacson. He wrote a book, "Music as Midrash," and he goes over that exact feeling of of saying that music is an interpretation of the text, and it's a deeper layer. Because music truly touches the soul in the way that the words can't. So just like the rabbis have their own interpretation on the text, each composer, through a musical interpretation, adds a whole other layer of interpretation that we really can't get with just the words alone. And I love that. So I would love to, it's, it's already 8 o'clock and I'm, I'm realizing that, I would love to kind of hear from you, Mr. Benjamin Fingerhut. Oh, we have a question beforehand. Please, sorry about that. Yes, please. Yeah, so the first one was a dirge telling you things, and the last one was, was more inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. So, so not only is Benjamin um, a very talented pianist and interpreter of Jewish music, he's a phenomenal composer as well. So I would love to kind of hear from you, Benjamin, if you were to be given this, let's just take these, these few words here. If you as a composer were to be tasked with writing a musical interpretation of this important piece of liturgy, where would, where would you start? Like, what would be your, your kind of thought process and, and, and way of going about doing this? Um, well, I'd actually be interested to hear, perhaps from the audience as well, what you might expect to hear, musically speaking, mm. from this text. But immediately on Rosh Hashanah it is written, and on the fast day of atonement it is sealed. Um, in and of itself is a fairly you know, standard thing to say. It's not; it doesn't really describe anything. Um, where it gets more interesting is is the later on. Mm -hmm. So, who will perish by fire, and who by water, who by sword, and who by beast, who by hunger, and who by thirst, who by earthquake, and who by plague? You know, could, could have just said who's going to perish. There's being very descriptive. So, for each of the things. Um, for, for each of the uh, items that are, that are listed, you can uh, create this sort of musical setting. So, for example, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Um, so, who who by earthquake? If we're being very literal about it, might give yeah. you that sense of the earthquake. Um, who by water? It's 
still got that dissonance to mm. it, so it might not set the, it might not be a memorable melody. Um, but you've got all these ways that you can bring out the text in the way that it's played. Um, so personally, I think there's a sort of an undertone to this, a slightly darker undertone. Mm. Rosh Hashanah, you got Almost atmospheric, um, leading into um, you know how different ways you could you know, oh, pass I, on. So, I, I love that. I'm I'm hearing like I'm hearing the the strings going. And the choir going, ah, and there we go. We have a new setting coming to you next year. Well, maybe. Well, <laughs> no pressure. And that, that's a whole other thing. By the way, Kola Kavod, look at that, just out of nowhere. That, that's a whole other conversation that we can have. Maybe we'll have this on Slichot of, of what do we do with the traditional melodies versus wanting to innovate and change and bring something new and like how do you how do we go about delicately doing that because honestly this is part of of our new partnership as cantor and music director here of of being charged with not only preserving the incredible music heritage of sinai temple but bringing it forward so what kind of how how do how do you go about kind of tackling that question um so the question is how how do we create how do, no how do we how do we balance like the old with like, so, you know if oh, we see. if all of a sudden like and maybe we have to put ourselves into the into the feet of someone like mayor finkelstein like what was the reaction when he brought that barosh Hashanah and we no longer did were there people that were upset i bet i absolutely i'm sure um, but now looking at it x number of years later decades later you know well it's interesting because you know, traditions start somewhere. That's right. Um, in back in London, when I was working in the Orthodox synagogue, and you know, people were set in their ways in a certain way. And the one line that I would use is, "Well, um, this tune that you know that we've replaced momentarily, maybe just one week with this other tune, um, the tune that you know was new at some point." It's I, not a, it's not God given. I love that. I, it's so funny because, like, if I sang for all of you, the everyone's everyone in the room is nodding. A lot of people online are nodding too. So I said, "All right, Benjamin, accompany me." And he said, "I don't know this piece." Oh, I, I don't know this piece, right? <laughs> Which was true. I forgot I said, what I said. Yeah, I said, "How do you not know this piece?" Right. It is like the Vashamru, right? right? But the Vashamru, sorry to break it to you, was composed in the 1960s in North Hollywood at a dot REL by Rabbi Moshe Rothblum. So this traditional Vashamru isn't that traditional. It's very localized and it's very recent, right? I've, I've asked people, like, when was that Vashamru written? 1820, 1470, <laughs> 1650. Like, nope, sorry. So it's ex exactly like something that is so traditional to us is foreign. Right. To someone who's not in the Southern California bubble, or even like throughout the United States, someone across the world, uh, and there will be things that are introduced that that work, 
and there will be things that introduce that don't necessarily and, and it's about you know feeding off the congregation firstly uh, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater um, and taking the melodies that have existed for you know, 70 years or 700 years um, perhaps making them slightly more fresh mm-hmm. using harmonies that our ears are now used to if you think back um if you think to the uh, you know days of mozart mozart will have only known what happened until mozart so he was going by the harmonies that he knew and then pushing the boundaries further um you know uh, chopin beethoven even there was huge backlash against the dissonant or chromatic harmonies yep. that they were introducing and um, which is now very tonal in our ears compared to like exactly. what happened in the 20th century in modern music and now postmodern. It's, it's, exactly. it's so, so fascinating. So we have 21st century ears. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that I'm going to be introdu- <laughs> introducing, uh, you know, this polytonality and then that kind of thing. But um, there's definitely scope to take the traditional, take the old and to um, you know, respectfully make it new and introduce new pieces in a more modern style that, yeah, that's not to say. I think these days, perhaps chorally, um, people like Eric Whitaker, mm-hmm. um, that kind of style where you can hear the dissonance, you can hear the um, the influence f- um, of of through history coming to this moment in time now. Um, and that's that's really what I'm looking forward to in in our partnership, which has only been a few months now. Is I I see Sinai Temple in what we really are. We we are not, you know connoisseurs of jewish music we are producers of jewish music like we should be creating that new sound or as we have done in the past with the music of max helfman which we didn't get to because the time is that we'll have to do a part two of this program the, the music of max helfman of carl erstein of mayor finkelstein of craig taubman like this is music that has gone way beyond the four corners of this building and that's really our challenge is to take new arrangements, new compositions, and make them not only the sound of our synagogue and community, but also the sound of the Jewish world. So that's, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to, which would be really wonderful. So thank you all for a little deep dive musically into the music of the High Holidays, and so glad you all joined us, and we'll see you for Slichot, and we'll see you for the High Holidays. Shana Tova. Shana Tova.